Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Good to be back in your ears. Joining me on this rip is Justin Seagal, fellow pleb, Bitcoiner, all-round great guy, great rip, really good to see. He managed to escape his fiat role and get into a Bitcoining role, and we do talk about that at uh, pretty good length, and hopefully it will inspire many more of you that are trying to do the same. Please reach out to Justin if you have any questions further. I'm sure he'd be happy to help you. Now, are you going to the conference? Do you want to go to the conference? I think we all want to go to the conference, myself included. Uh, please make sure that you are able to travel. Um, look up the local restrictions or the latest regulations. And if you can travel and you do want to get there, it's coming up. It's very, very soon. It's going to be the largest Bitcoin event in the world. I think you all know that. 6th and the 9th of April in Miami Beach, Florida. And uh, it's going to have some amazing speakers there. As you have heard from myself and other podcasters, there is going to be President Nayib Bukele there, who has promised a big surprise, as well as CEOs like Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers. I wonder what he's got up his sleeve. Adam Back and hundreds more. Day one is industry day where you can network and figure out how to build your business or float your idea, get some backing for that. And then days two and three are going to be the main meet of the conference. Day four gets closed out with Sound Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic, Steve Aoki, CL, Run the Jewels, I know I've mispronounced pretty much all of these at some stage, San Holo, Deadmau5, and many more. So go grab your tickets if you can. You can use the code BITTEN at checkout for 10% off on all of your tickets any of those purchases from general admission up to the whale pass now i always need to shill the sat stacking services that are offering such a brilliant service to the plebs swan bitcoin in the u.s use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten to get a free ten dollars if you're not stacking with swan in the u.s you should be across europe you have a very similar app relay r-e-l-a-i .ch forward slash bitten. Go check them out. I've had Julian Linegar, CEO, on the pod a couple of times. You can go and listen back and see if this is a service for you. BitcoinReserve.com uh, in, uh, well, they're in Europe, but uh, the UK plebs can use them as well. And you can stack up to a thousand euros or pounds per day on your card or tie on a nice big position, 50,000 euros or pounds or more. We'll get you a white glove service from the team. Both Nick has uh, been on the show along with Andrew Howard from Bitcoin Reserve. They're doing great work. Go and check them out if that is an option for you. Coincorner.com forward slash Bitten. Based out of the Isle of Man serving UK and Euro plebs. You can set up your auto buys and smash buy very confidently with the team over there. Shiftcrypto.ch 
forward slash bitten has you covered for your hardware wallet please go and get a hardware wallet i cannot be more specific about this it needs to be done take control enjoy this riff with justin all right we are recording justin nice to meet you princey how's it going very well very well and uh lauren's here lauren's in the house ready to fire away lauren so um i don't know much about you um and so I just wanted to know, what do you do as in like what or anything else? Okay, so um, I used to work in real estate after getting my MBA at the University of Colorado. And I got laid off at the beginning of COVID. And I was feeling very disheartened with what I was seeing in the world and especially in the real estate industry, and decided I wasn't going to go back. So I wasn't working, and my now fiancé um, was getting a little impatient with me. And I thought, all right, I need to work. What am I going to do? So I looked uh, far and wide, and I found a job a Bitcoin mining company. So now I moved to Texas and I am working in the Bitcoin mining industry. Nice. So it's yeah. like, is it hard or is it easy? Which one would you say? Um, my job or the industry? Uh, sorry, uh, your job, sorry. Uh, my job is easy because I love it. Doesn't right. feel like work. Um, I feel very motivated going into work every day and I'm very happy where I am. So I would say it's very easy. Nice. Yeah. All right. So my second question is, um, why do you like Bitcoin? Why do I like Bitcoin? Oh man. Bitcoin uh, to me is hope for a better world. And we've been given a beautiful gift by Satoshi, and hopefully we can keep it and not let it go, uh, go in a wrong direction. And that, you know, Princey, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today is uh, the two different Bitcoins we have. We have Bitcoin, uh, the marketing message, and we have Bitcoin, the security model, and um, I care about Bitcoin because I want to keep uh, the dream of Bitcoin alive. All right. I think that's it, though. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Oh, Great actually, questions. I actually have another question. Yeah. Um, uh, would you think if work was... Oh, sorry. Hold on. I'm trying to sort this out in my head. If you think work was fun, do you think people will, uh, what's the word? Be happier? Like, I don't know how to say it. Um, trying to find the words. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're asking if people will feel uh, more fulfilled? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. I think a lot of people are disheartened 
with uh, what they have to do to to feed their families and to stay alive. And I think, um, you know, the world we live in right now, it's tough for people. And I think Bitcoin also provides an opportunity for people to pursue um, what they're actually passionate about. And it'll take some time for the world to change if Bitcoin does become successful. But ultimately, yes, I think people will feel much more fulfilled and much happier doing what they love rather than having to slave away at a fiat job just to, to support their family. All right. Okay. Good questions. Yes. Oh, do you want to say good night? The end, end of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, see but you. Before, before you oh, go, yeah. before you go, Lauren, I just wanted to say, I love what you guys do together. Um, one of the things I started when, um, when I got laid off from my job was I started a podcast with my mom called Bitcoin for mom. And I take uh, the difficult topics in and around Bitcoin and I try and simplify them by explaining them to my mom. So that was uh, a lot of fun for me, but unfortunately we, uh, we put it down when I started my new job, but uh, hopefully you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about getting back into it. We'll see if, uh, we'll see if we go through with it or not. Nice. And thank you. Yeah. yeah. That'll, that'll be, I, I, I'll have to listen to a few episodes. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, it's a great idea. And yeah, yeah. Send it over and I'll put it in the show notes as well. So people can come and find it. Cool. Yeah. Anyways. Bye. Good night, Lauren. All right, mate. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, stepping up to, to do a plebcast and, uh, you know, introduce yourself to the, to the rest of the plebs all over the world that are tuning in and listening. We're all suckers for a rabbit hole story, Justin. So, you know, why don't we kick off with that? You know, I, I don't know how I initially uh, got sucked into Bitcoin. I was thinking about that. And I think, honestly, you know, I was a pretty avid Twitter user before I was a Bitcoiner. And I think Bitcoin Twitter just started leaking into my timeline. And uh, I think I got into Bitcoin that way. So what were you using it for before? This this is fascinating in itself, because I I think I created an account back in 09, but barely ever used it. I, I think I'd use it to keep up with like a few sports teams or a bit of news like that or something. I, you know, and then like you kind of fell into Bitcoin Twitter land, uh, was very afraid at the beginning. <laughs> like what, what the hell is going on here? So yeah, what, what was your avid use of, of Twitter before Bitcoin Twitter? Yeah, I think I'm the same as you. I had a Twitter account and never used it. And then um, I got into to golf betting. So similar to the, to the sports angle, I started following some guys who were uh, betting on golf, sharing some of my thoughts on and opinions on on golf betting, and uh, you know once once bitten, um, my my Twitter feed has looked uh, a little differently since then. I'd imagine, but um, you know what, what what's even more interesting is. 
I got into Bitcoin at a pretty uh, unique time. It was probably July 2017. So it was right before Bcash hard forked. And as you know, it was right before we ran from like, I don't know, must have been $1,200 of Bitcoin all the way up to 20,000. And this was as a new Bitcoiner. I'm thinking, oh my God, hyper Bitcoinization is upon us. Like we're just going (laughs) straight up. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons getting in at that time, you know, riding it all the way back down and, uh, you know, all the price action and, you know, macro news that's happened since. But while I was like thinking about that, I realized like there's really no easy time to get into Bitcoin, right? So if you get in at the top and ride it down, if you get in at the bottom and ride it up, like the emotional swings of, of the Bitcoin price, you know, for a new entrant is just wild. And if you can stomach that price volatility and, you know, focus on the value proposition uh, and not overextend yourself and keep a level head, you know, you eventually start to not care about the price, but, you know, for new, for new entrants, it's, uh, it's really tough. And that's, you, you wrote a piece about this, right? For Bitcoin magazine. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my first, uh, first piece for Bitcoin magazine. It was, uh, kind of drawing the parallel between Bitcoin and a piggy bank, you know, to, to just put away a couple shekels every time you don't need them and to not focus on the price, not to try and trade it. And, uh, you know, if you, if you stick with it, you should be happy with the results over time. All right. Real estate. What was going on? Like, uh, how, how long were you doing that? Talk us through your fiat day-to-day life when you were uh, knee-deep in the world of, of real estate. What did that look like? So, I think you may have had the most fiat job on the planet, Yes, being an FX trader. <laughs> I think I had the second most fiat job on the planet. So, uh, we would specifically do land development deals and land development especially on a large scale takes a lot of time and takes a lot of capital and the developers don't want to take that kind of risk so what we were allowed to do was to create like a special purpose entity called the metro district and this metro district was created for the purposes of raising public financing. So we'd go to the bond market, we'd issue a metro district bond, anywhere from like 10 to $100 million. And what we would do is we'd have, you know, say 100 acres, and it's just farmland, we'd use those funds to build public infrastructure. So roads, uh, sewer, all the supporting infrastructure necessary for a community, parks, you know, anything that was considered public infrastructure. And after we'd build the community, except for the homes, we would then sell the developed lot 
to a home builder who would come in, build and sell the homes. And the bonds that we raised would get paid back by the residents of that community through increases to their property taxes. So it was a pretty lucrative business model. Um, most of our developments took a long time to, to play out. So it is um, kind of a long-term investment, but the whole public financing by a private entity, I thought was like a pretty, uh, pretty unique business model that not a lot of industries get to take advantage of. Right. So what, what was your role? Um, we actually were a pretty small shop. So I did everything from like cost estimating to project management, to accounting, to financing, to being an attorney. I wore, you know, a lot of different hats and got exposed to pretty much the, the entire range of responsibilities as it comes to, to uh, managing a metro district. Well, that's a good experience. You get to wear all those different hats and see uh, how it, you know, how it really works from, from the inside rather than getting pigeonholed like uh, many of us do and then just paint ourselves into a corner and wake up 35 years later and you're like, the hell just happened here? The kids are gone. I still got a mortgage and now I've got all this other debt and responsibility to take on as well. So what, what happened then? Why, did, why were you laid off? Um. I think it was just a matter of timing, you know, when COVID hit, things were winding down. Um, I think my boss kind of lost a little bit of motivation even before that and was thinking of uh, downsizing. And I think COVID was just kind of an excuse to pull the trigger to, to let me go. But, um, but yeah, I'm happy ultimately that it happened. I probably wasn't going to be be there much longer anyways because you know i i'm all in on bitcoin um super passionate about it and there's only so much uh so much that already, space available <laughs> had that already yeah, exactly tell me about it had that already started seeping into you like uh had do you think it had started affecting your 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 fiat job because you were or, or did did the the afterburners light up after and during after being laid off and during COVID and having that time to, to really deep dive. But what, where were you on your journey into the rabbit hole at that point? So interest wise and passion wise, I was already checked out. I hadn't really considered moving into Bitcoin full time at that point, but certainly like my attention span was uh was affected by bitcoin like my mental capacity was focused more on bitcoin than the work i was doing but i think once i got laid off i then thought more seriously about pursuing a career in bitcoin you know starting with writing a couple pieces um and starting the podcast with my mom just getting my name out there and then um you know, once, once my fiance lit a fire under my ass <laughs> was when I, you know, got really serious about finding a job in the industry. All right. The plebs are going to want to know how you did that because there are so many people looking. Uh, 
you know, big Bitcoiner jobs was, uh, was just in its infancy then, but I think it is a pretty good resource for, for people to check out if they're looking to, to get into Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin Twitter obviously is, uh, where the most communications about Bitcoin uh, travel along the internet. And, you know, the, the industry is expanding super rapidly and there's not that many positions available if you're not a software engineer. But if you are, I would just start reaching out to people who have companies you're interested in. I mean, one thing I've learned about being a Bitcoiner is, you know, we, we love to help each other and we do everything we can. You know, if you're passionate, if you're hardworking and you really want to do it, like pull the trigger and go talk to people and find, find what interests you. There's tons of, tons of companies and they're all expanding rapidly, you know, especially with, you know, every new Bitcoiner who, who enters the space needs to be serviced in some way, shape or form. Um, you can try and, you know, just get your voice out there, write a piece. I think Bitcoin magazine is a super, super valuable resource. Um, you know, they're expanding, they're hiring themselves, but just to get, just to get your name out there, write your thoughts, you know, kind of sharpen your, sharpen your tools and your pitch and just, you know, keep at it. So did this job come up on, uh, on Bitcoin jobs and you just like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to call the guy. Like what was the process you went through? Um, so unfortunately I can't share what company I work for. Okay. And if I talk about how I pursued the job, I think it would give it away. All right. <laughs> um, I will do the disclaimer, even though I can't share the name of the company that anything I share today are my personal thoughts and not theirs. But um, sorry, I can't answer that question for you. No problem, mate. No problem. Well, th th clearly there was um, a little bit of networking going on on, on your part. I, I just want to, you know, for, for those people that are listening in and thinking, how the hell did he escape real estate and get, you know, a Bitcoin a job? Uh, so there's there, there are ways to do it. And you are proof that you don't need to be a software developer. What, what skills did you carry across? Because like not everyone's a Bitcoin miner. Uh, that is true. So I think my real estate past kind of helped me a lot. Um, my dad was a general contractor and growing up uh, he put me to work. Mm -hmm. So I did a, a lot of manual labor throughout high school and throughout college. So I'm pretty good in terms of, you know, using tools and um, I'm willing to, to do manual labor uh, differently than, than most others. And a lot of people, or I guess people don't know this, but proof of work literally is proof of work. It's not like you just set up the ASICs and forget about them. Um, it, is, it is a full-time job keeping a mine online. It is 
super hot temperatures. It is a lot of manual labor. It is um, some software. Um, I think that's probably the part I was not uh, prepared for, but you just kind of learn over time. I think, um, you know, the skills that are needed are just passion for Bitcoin and a willingness to work hard. And I had both of those. Yeah, perfect. So I'm thinking now there's a bunch of tradies out there that like, uh, that their eyes are lighting up and they're like thinking, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an electrician, if you're a builder, if you're, if you're, if whatever your job is, if you're happy to do that manual labor, then there's a, there's a spot for you and a Bitcoin mining company. And these companies are just getting bigger and bigger and more and more are going to open up and start businesses as well. So this is going to be an area to watch from your experience there. And I understand you can't give too much away, but what other kind of skill sets do you see being used by people within the organization? I mean, I'm sure there has to be some kind of finance and accountant guy and there's got to be a uh, sales consultant or there's got to be some kind of marketing. You know, these are all of these companies are rounding out as you would expect. Yeah. So the, the business side, I mean, is pretty much like any other business, whether you're an accountant, finance guy, a software engineer, a security analyst, you know, all, all the same positions that exist in, in the fiat world also exist in the Bitcoin world. And then, um, you know, if you want to get more specialized as it comes to supporting infrastructure or, um, you know, minor maintenance or, you know, any of the, the operational stuff, you have to be, um, you know, an expert in a skilled trade. So like you mentioned, electricians, I think the Bitcoin industry in general, you know, the whole world is is short of electricians. So if you want to go get uh, an electrical, uh, they do apprenticeships, I would, I would start there. Or if you want to be a mechanical engineer, if you want to be, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. I, I would either go the route of like a traditional, you know, business administration route or somewhere in like the, the skilled trade. So I got another question for you about this, because again, like uh, this would be something forefront of most plebs minds. Your fiance lit a fire under your ass. So you went out and you found yourself this Bitcoin job. And then you say, okay, honey, I'm done. I got the job. I signed the contract. We're all good. Thing is, we're moving to Texas. How did that go down? Well, currently she is not with me here in Texas. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> and um, we, we started this kind of as a, as a trial to see, to see how it goes. And either fortunately or unfortunately, it's going a lot better than uh, either of us expected. So we're at the point where now she is considering uh, moving down here and uh, we're kind of working through the logistics in order to make that happen. Damn, brother. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a tough one, right? When we make these big life decisions. 
Uh, it's um, would it affect her work? Uh, would she have to find something else? Can she bring it with her? You know, there's there's so many things to consider. Yeah, I th- I think she can bring it with her. She uh, she's an attorney, and her, she's uh, she's started to have some conversations with her law firm about moving down here, and how they're going to go about that. I think, um, ironically, their their firm is interested in you know kind of cultivating some business here in Texas. So she'll have an opportunity to go out and expand their their client list down here. Um, and she can work remotely for the clients she currently has in, uh, in Denver. So I think it's gonna, gonna end up being a win-win. Oh, fingers crossed for you, man. So thank you, Texas, you got, you got boots on the ground. What's going on? Because the, the Euro plebs here, we, we look across the pond and we, you know, green eyed at what's going on in Texas. You've got an amazing Bitcoin scene. It seems on the outside, uh, you know, sprouting up. We've got Unchained there with uh, with Parker and Gang, and you got you know Modern T Man doing his thing with the Texas Beef Initiative. So much going on, and all of the seemingly all of the oil and gas companies now are waking up to the idea of plugging into Bitcoin miners. So it could just be this this whole huge melting pot of the perfect place to be as a Bitcoiner. What are you yeah, seeing? I, I certainly agree with you. I know that that activity is happening. Um, I went to my first BitDevs meetup uh, a couple weeks ago, and there had to be 200 people in the room. I mean, wow. people talk about Austin becoming the Bitcoin capital of America, and I would tend to agree. Um, unfortunately, I haven't really been able to spread my wings down here and talk to, to many people um, because between working in the mine and traveling back to see my fiance all the time, I haven't really had too much time to, to be social down here, but there are a ton of events that you can just, you know, show up to, seek them out and just pull people aside and chat with them. I mean, you know, it was kind of like, uh, so the, the, the first, uh, the first big Bitcoin event I went to was uh, Bitcoin 2021 in Miami. And man, it, it's just insane how willing and excited Bitcoiners are to, to talk to each other. It, it's just, it's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> What was that like? I, obviously, I didn't get across to it. It doesn't look as though we're going to be able to get across to this one either unless they change their mandates within the next three or four weeks, which who knows? It's not, you know, who knows? So we keep an open yeah. mind. But what was, uh, what was the conference like 2021? Just total energy. Everybody is just so excited, so optimistic about the future. <laughs> Everybody is so freaking nice. Um, I met some of my favorite Twitter follows. I met Steve Barber and talked to him for a while. Met Jeff Booth, one of the nicest individuals I think I've ever met. Uh, saw just, Marty just, and Matt. Just hanging out at the bar? Like you met these guys? Or, you know, just wandering around the, uh, the conference rooms? Yeah, everyone's just the same, you know? There's no... There's no red tape. There's no VIP section. I, actually, there was a VIP section, but the true Bitcoiners weren't really in it. 
that was saved for the uh, the Kevin O'Leary's. <laughs> but but yeah, everyone's just walking around, having a good time, talking to each other, and it's it was just a a, a cool cool experience. And you going back for twenty twenty two? No, unfortunately, I'm uh, I'm not going back this year. Just between going back for, I think I'm going to the Formula One race in Miami. Uh, I got a wedding coming up. Uh, you know, I already do a bunch of travel back and forth to see my fiance and, uh, I, I just couldn't, couldn't take more time off of work, but I'm sure it'll be spectacular. Um, they're doing it at a venue that I think will fit, uh, their guests better than, than the first one. I think they, uh, underestimated how many people were going to show up. So that was kind of a, a learning experience for them, but yeah, I would totally recommend anybody to uh, to go to this year's, but unfortunately, I won't be. All right, man. Well, after Lauren's questions, you said there's something you wanted to talk about today, and that was uh, two different Bitcoins. So what's, uh, what's on your mind? All right. So we have Bitcoin, the marketing message, and we have Bitcoin, the security model. And I think... Like as Bitcoin grows, those two things are seeming to to develop into like opposing forces a little bit. So you have the number go up, the you know the value prop, the the twenty one million, the the self sovereign property rights, you know all that sort of messaging. And then you have the security model. And I think as Bitcoiners, we need to do a better job of explaining the realities of Bitcoin. Um, I think we've taken the security model for granted a little bit. And we're just assuming that this thing is just going to continue to do what it's going to do. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. But... I think at some point, I don't know if it's soon or later or, you know, maybe never, but um, I I think at some point we're going to hit some tough times, some rocky roads and Bitcoiners need to understand that if that happens, we need to be willing to weather that storm or Bitcoin's not going to make it. Um. So by security model, you mean, uh, you know, protecting yourself rather than it being, you know, looked at as a security by, you know, the powers that be or, or a mix of both? Um, I'm, I'm not really talking about the designation of Bitcoin as a security. I'm more talking about the, the security model of the network as it um, relates to mining. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, personal security, if and when the government decides to come in and crack down on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things are just important to, to know about and to think about and to prepare for um, any of the future scenarios that can play out. So we have this thesis that Bitcoin will be worth everything one day. 
And if that's the case, um, I don't think it's kind of logically consistent to assume that the government is just going to help us on our merry way take their ability to print money away from them. Yeah. Have you been thinking more about this since working within the mining industry and, and getting a close-up look and trying to, um, you know, you, the closer you are to that kind of distributed network, those machines, the decentralized nature of it, that must have sparked some some thoughts in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's also a product of kind of the, the Bitcoiner cycle and, you know, where I'm at in my Bitcoin journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm reaching the, the five-year mark of being interested in Bitcoin and, you know, kind of starts with learning about the fact that Bitcoin exists and then ignoring it, then you have the, okay, I'm going to buy a little bit and see how this thing does. Then you kind of own Bitcoin and decide to figure out what the hell it is that you own. And then you're deep down the rabbit hole, pinning your friends against the wall saying, you don't understand. You need to listen to me. You need to buy Bitcoin. Put your entire net worth in it. You know, you're annoying everybody who will listen to you. And then you kind of get over that stage and you kind of come back to reality. And then you start thinking, okay, if, if this thing is going to make it, how is it going to happen? Um, how you know, what are the, what's the threat model, you know, all those sorts of things that, uh, that aren't as popular to talk about. So I think it's partially, you know, being in the mining industry and then partially just, uh, you know, a product of my, my journey in the, in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Where do you see the the mining industry going? Because we had the uh, announcement recently from IBM, wasn't it? that uh, are going to start making a machine that is going to be twice or 10 times faster and more efficient with more hash rate and half the price. Is this something being talked about in the mining industry? Is this a red herring? What, what have you guys kind of got your eyes on? So I think it was Intel. Intel, excuse me. Yes. But um, yeah, that, that message was weird. Because mm-hmm. they said it was thousand times more efficient than GPU mining, I think was like the original quote. And you know, ASIC ASICs are already, you know, orders of magnitude more efficient than GPUs to mine Bitcoin, and that's why everybody uses ASICs in order to mine Bitcoin. But um, in terms of where the industry is going, I am not smart enough to to answer that question. But uh, I know that at some point, um, if and when the government decides to implement, you know, whitelisting of addresses or, you know, any sort of um, other threats to the Bitcoin network that the mining community at large is going to have to 
you know, have to resist any regulations that come down or um, if it comes to it to just disobey any, any laws that are, that are put in place to, to hamper the industry. How mobile are some of these bigger companies now? Obviously, we saw what happened in China. All of a sudden, bam, we're banning Bitcoin mining in China. We had the, the huge drop in hash rate for a couple of weeks. But then, lo and behold, they all get back online somewhere. Wherever they went, they just packed up. And it seemed to me like, man, this this is... I I, I knew that was possible. But then to actually see it happen was like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, I mean, is some of these places just going to be too big to be that mobile? I mean, I can tell you uh, our mine is not very mobile. <laughs> but um, I, th- I think a lot of them are, mm-hmm. um, especially the, the container, containerized yep. uh, mining farms. Um, they can they can just put them on a put them on a truck and go find another source of energy. Um, fortunately, I don't see that sort of threat anytime soon. Especially for our company, we have uh, pretty good relationships with the people who who allow us to stay in business. But uh, but yeah, I think um, if and when that moment comes, it will be. Uh, a greater advantage to be more mobile. What are the, are you, are you able to talk about some of the things like um, attack vectors that are on your mind? Like what, like the top three, if this happens, then what? And if this happens, we do this. Yeah, I think um the number one thing is Bitcoiners, as we grow as a group, not understanding that we need to take uh, personal risk in order to make this thing happen. So I come very much from the Eric Voss school, school of Bitcoin, and a lot of people who talk to him get frustrated with him because he's, uh, he's very rational he will not entertain uh, any ideas that he can't prove. Um, and I wanted to read a quote from his wonderful book, Crypto Economics. I need to order this one. I was uh, I was recommended this one by Max Hillebrand, and I, I still got around to uh, got to get around to getting it. So it's Crypto yeah. Economics, yeah. Yep, you can get it for free. Um, it's more of just a, a passage or a collection of like passages that he has written more so than like a, a narrative in a book. So you can find it on his LeBitcoin. Uh, I think it's his GitHub, but he also does have the book if you want to order it that way. But he says, Bitcoin allows people to share the personal risk of accepting and mining coin. It is only the willingness and ability of these people to resist that can prevent coercion of their nodes and co-option of their minds. And this is what actually secures Bitcoin. If people do not accept these risks, there is no effective security in the money. If a great many people do so, individual risk is minimized. Bitcoin is a tool, 
not magic. Hmm. So I thought that was one of the better uh, passages I've read about Bitcoin. And it is really important that people contemplate the future scenarios that could arise and do everything they can to make themselves ready for that. And, you know, we need to take a stand if and when uh, those scenarios present themselves. But recently I've seen a lot of, uh, a, a lot of push to convince politicians to help us in our goals. And I just don't think um, over the long run that that's the best way to go about it. I mean, if we sit here today and think about 10 years from now, I think Bitcoin would be in a better spot if it was made illegal today than if it was made legal tender in the United States. Interesting. I can see your point of view. What if, what if Austin, uh, what, what if Parker becomes mayor of Austin? <laughs> that would help. <laughs> no, look, I, I, I don't think like this scenario needs to happen. I just don't see it very likely that Bitcoin's going to be the world reserve currency without, you know, some, some pushback, right? What can, in your view, here's, here's, here's a rabbit hole to go down. The, obviously so many of us are doing what we can, um, hodling number one thing that, uh, that most people can do just, you know, get, uh, get your Bitcoin off exchanges, get them in your wallets and, and just huddle them as securely as you can and, and make sure you don't fuck that up. And uh, yeah, I mean, some people would say they, they lose them and uh, they're happy they lost them because they're off the market forever and uh, you know, whatever, but there's there a lot, lot of boating accidents recently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of chat as well. Uh, and a lot of interest in in home mining and it seems to be coming a very uh hot topic on bitcoin twitter you see how people have set up their own rigs and they're doing some amazing things like that guy that's heating his his swimming pool like you know good on you that's amazing um but looking at it from from your point of view that's a way that's another way of of taking on some risk right to to protect the network ultimately. Yeah, I, I very much have been interested in in seeing the home mining setups that have been shared on Twitter. And I think it's great that this push is being made. Uh, it helps the network, it helps individuals and I'm all for it. Um, I think just going back to the, the two different Bitcoins, I wanna kind of use what happened in Canada as, uh, as an example. So, you know, the, the Trudeau emergency orders were, I thought was very good for Bitcoin, the marketing message, but I thought it was not so good for Bitcoin, the security model, right? So, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak poorly about uh, the group that raised the funds for the truckers, you know, I think Jeff and Greg and Ben are 
great Bitcoiners and I don't want to be too hard on them, but you know, they, they, they had a pretty big blind spot in what they were doing. You know, we call Bitcoin censorship resistant, but you know, just a threat from the government to, uh, you know, they made those, those donations illegal and, you know, those funds ultimately ended up frozen. And I think, you know, they, they were able to distribute some of the funds, but the rest of it ended up in the hands of the Canadian authorities. You know, I thought that was pretty problematic in the sense that, okay, we're going to raise all this money from Bitcoiners to give to the truckers and boom, Tomorrow, you know, that process is made illegal and the Bitcoiners who were front and center to that project weren't um, willing or able to, to carry out their, their goals because they were scared of the repercussions. Yeah, what, what did happen in the end there? Uh, I know I was watching um, Nobody Caribou, right, on Twitter I saw him going mm-hmm. around the um, the truckers and uh, and handing out paper wallets, um, and then I did see a tweet from him saying that uh, he had been um, visited by uh, local authorities and that they had taken the keys. I didn't know if that was. A boating accident tweet, though I, I I couldn't really gauge it. I don't. And then J W Weatherman came out with all kinds of other stuff, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which didn't seem to make much sense. So I, I've not been able to get a, a real kind of line on exactly what's happened. Yeah, I, I'm not claiming to know what actually happened. Any number of those scenarios could have played out, but. You know, I'm just going based on what I've seen everybody communicate um, and going back to JW, I, th- I thought I read that the rest of the funds were, were in the hands of the Canadian authorities and that they were going to distribute it how they saw fit. And that was that. I'm not thinking there's more to the story. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that, but. You know, I just wanted to use that as an example yeah. that, you know, there is some personal risk that we're all going to have to take on. Um, hopefully we can share that risk, right? This was a small group of individuals that was targeted in a very public, uh, you know, fundraise. But, you know, I, I, I thought it was a, a good example to kind of show uh you know, kind of the dichotomy between Bitcoin, the marketing message and Bitcoin, the reality, because, you know, while Bitcoin is censorship resistant, um, you know, that you, you still, you still got to decide to send the transaction when people are telling you not to. Yes, no, I, I do get your point. Exactly. And it's been um, something uh, seen like it's sparked a discussion on Twitter again you know the like the best practices what and, and i've seen some of the bsv crowd and, and some of those guys come in and like oh oh is this what you bitcoiners mean by censorship resistant um under some of these tweets uh you know they're they're having their little day in the sun 
which yeah, uh, I mean, the BSV crowd's a bunch of idiots, but in this case, you know, I, I would say they're right. You know, it was a, uh, it's kind of a catch twenty two. It was a moment of strength and a a moment of weakness for Bitcoin, like uh, like a lot of things are. Yes, it does generally tend always to work out on the upside. So fingers crossed this one does as well. Um, no, it's a, yeah, good discussion, mate. That is, you know, thanks for bringing that up. I, when you said two different Bitcoins, I thought you were going to go down the path of uh, the usual um, KYC, non-KYC, which, uh, you know, that argument seems to have uh, been raging again. <laughs> I, I have some thoughts on that as well. Let's air them. Get them out there. All right. I will put a disclaimer on here that I am not pro KYC, but um, it is my opinion that if you're trading uh, for Bitcoin with fiat, um, it's not really KYC free Bitcoin, even if it comes in the form of mining. So um, in terms of the addresses that you own, those UTXOs, like that stuff is all hidden. But let's just say you had no Bitcoin today and you wanted to convert your, your net worth into Bitcoin. Like, I just don't see a way you could do that without like, you know, if, if, if your bank knows that you're making, let's say a Zelle payment or a money order, or, you know, all, even if you're buying ASICs, you, you have, you know, you want to go buy five new gen ASICs or 20 old gen ASICs. Like, I just don't see how that cash can leave your bank and nobody asks questions at some point about where that money went. So that's for like larger amounts, right? But yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think K the KYC problem is a problem of position sizing. It's not right. a problem of, you know, the, the Bitcoin network itself. Like it's pretty easy to get low denomination mm -hmm. KYC free Bitcoin. But if you want to accumulate as much Bitcoin as you can, I think that, you know, task becomes harder and harder to do it without, uh, alerting somebody so the home mining kind of narrative of it's kyc free bitcoin would only work if you were buying from another pleb who's accepting bitcoin for that mining machine and you can get that mining machine face to face rather than have it well you could have it shipped to a uh, a neutral address i suppose uh and then plug it in that's the only way you can do it but if you if you're looking for like the, these newer machines, you actually want to do something uh, that's going to have or going to come to uh, fruition nine to 12 months, then you need the newer machines. And that means more money. And that means going straight to the supplier. And that means you're giving up your KYC, uh, you know, KYC stance. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's a issue on like the front end of like who you're buying it from or any of that stuff. But, you know, when, $50,000, you know, disappears from your bank account, you know, they may, they may have questions, uh, you know, our, our bank accounts are KYC'd and that's the problem.
Yeah. Man, all of this is going to play out, right, in the next five to ten years because um, – Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I was having a discussion with a guy recently about when when the time comes when that service, whether it's a, whether it's a bank or a private bank or a private company, is willing to loan you money to buy a house against your Bitcoin stack or part thereof, that stack is going to have to be KYC'd, I'd imagine. Like, I can't imagine they're going to loan against a non-KYC stack. I don't know. There's, there's discussions to be had forever about it. Um, and I come and go on, on, on either side, and I understand both sides. And it's just great to, to, to keep these conversations alive and think about, think about the future and think about you know what's what's going to play out and of course you have this threat it's like i would yes we i'd love to be completely private i fucked that up (laughs) (laughs) cheers uh but but others haven't others have been very very careful with it and uh all of their bitcoin is is non-kyc uh and that's amazing I, i i couldn't imagine how to that that's pure perseverance yeah, and, you know, the reality is, you know, we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Like the, the best thing for KYC and the Bitcoin network health, transaction fees, the whole, the whole deal is to have Bitcoin circulating. But all of us are greedy motherfuckers. We think Bitcoin's <laughs> going to be worth everything. So we don't spend our sats. <laughs> I, I feel that another- shifting. I feel that shifting though. That that I definitely feel shifting because like three or four years ago, goddamn, like you know the the most ardent of hodlers that they'd never have even. I remember actually when Lightning Network first came around, and I looked at that. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I uh, <laughs> I'm never gonna send my. I'm, I, why would I want to use that? Why would I want to give Starbucks or whoever else, uh, you know, my sats for for a coffee or something? But since the advent of the, the announcement in El Salvador and, you know, John Vallis, I've spoken to many, many times and I listened to his pod and his revelation that when he was in El Salvador and using the Lightning Network and using Bitcoin as a method of payment, he felt as though he was honoring that person much better. And it, he just had a, a much closer connection and uh, more uh, respect and compassion because he was using real money like actual money that he knows that person is going to be able to save or uh, reinvest back into the business and grow. That's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And what's happening in El Salvador uh, is pretty cool to watch. And in the interest of uh, practicing what I preach, I've also made um, the effort to, to spend more Bitcoin as well. Uh, have you uh, found some places then in in town that uh, I know there's plenty of uh, restaurants now in uh, in Texas that are happy to accept Bitcoin? Uh, no, I haven't spent at a business yet, but just in terms of like circulating money throughout my friend group or um, you know donations here or there, um, it, it's just more the the mental. 
conditioning that it's okay to spend Bitcoin. And when the opportunity is presented, I try and do so. I'm with you. Uh, we were at a family wedding last week and I managed to convince the, uh, the groom to accept uh, a wedding gift in Bitcoin on the nice. understanding on the understanding, he purchased a, uh, a hardware wallet first and generated a, an address from that hardware wallet after it backed it up. And then I can send across the gift. So I wouldn't have done that five years ago. There's <laughs> no way. Exactly. I would have hodled and I just hodled and hodled and hodled and written a check and like, there you go, you know, have, you know, hit all the best for the future. But now gifting them this and, and uh, you know, knowing that he's going through these hoops of getting the wallet, generating the address, making sure it's safe. <clears throat> and me pleading with him like you know just please don't touch this for 10 years that gives me an amazing feeling so i now know that what i wrote in the card or the best for your future i am actually backing it up yeah man that's awesome and i think you know people people just assume it's too hard for other people to to learn and get into it but i think the bitcoin community the developers the companies have done a fantastic job of making this thing pretty damn easy right like the other day i paid somebody back for a concert ticket and she didn't know what the heck she was doing so i went give me your phone i went in downloaded green wallet told her okay you need to write these words down you know she wrote down her seed words said do not lose this this is your bitcoin then sent her the Bitcoin. And now she just has a wallet. She doesn't know how to spend it. She doesn't know really what, what she's doing, but she knows she can't lose her seed phrase. And she's got a Bitcoin wallet with some Bitcoin on it. And it really wasn't that hard. Wallet of Satoshi has been a, a great one for that. Uh, you know, just that's how I managed to get the hairdresser on board. Like, all right, Perfect. download this app, download this app. Email address, sign up, bam, make a receipt, done. So bang, bang, boom. <laughs> now, now, each time I go in there with my son, he, he's asking more questions about it. You know, he changed phone. So I had to reset him up on the thing and like show him how to like uh, get, get it back. And there it all was. It was no problem. We managed to pay again. And the last time we went in, he said, ah, oh, I've had another guy come through and just paid me in Bitcoin. I'm like, shit. In this town, like, who is it? Dox him. I, <laughs> I need to go find him. I can't believe there's more of us, but it, it's happening. It's happening slowly but surely. And uh, you know, this is this is the way we do it, one person at a time. Um, and I think um, I don't know whether I just read it in your piece, but um, you know, there's uh, it's been said many times before. But telling someone to buy Bitcoin is your way of saying I love you. Yeah, I stole that from uh, from John Fakuri. He he tweeted that out one day, and I just felt that in the most visceral way. It's like if I ever tried to tell you to buy Bitcoin, it was my way of telling you I love you. I've used it's that so line true. a lot. It's yeah. so true. And when and because you were talking about this earlier in your rabbit hole journey, when you were the crazy guy in the bar pinning your friends against the wall, like begging them to buy Bitcoin. That was your way. Don't wife. understand. <laughs> <laughs> I just love you. <laughs> uh, yes, shut up. <laughs> I've heard you eight times. 
have any of those guys come back like uh head between their uh you know a tail between their legs like you were right a few of them not not many yeah i think uh it's happening slowly but surely all right man well we've got to talk about a bit of golf let's do it What's going on in Golfland? Because there are more and more plebs I see showing uh, interest or showing themselves as golfers. Uh, BTC Aaron's got his uh, Telegram group set up where he's giving little swing tips and uh, uh, giving little lightning uh, payment rewards for for his advice, which is awesome. And there's a good little golf community um, coming to the fore here. It certainly seems that way. I think uh, Fartface 2000s always posting his his Zen pictures on the golf course. Um, Set Trinity has a pretty good game. I played with uh, with a with a bunch of the guys down in Miami. Um, Aaron couldn't join us because he had his uh, U.S. Open qualifier. That's right. But uh, yeah, more credible was down there. Uh, we had, we had a bunch of plebs. It was it was fun. You got around then. But these guys are yeah. at the at the conference. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Somehow, I forget how it happened. CK reached out. And he was like, "You should throw this on the website as like a a non-sync, whatever they call the the like a side event or something." Yeah, the secondary events. He, you know, he just put it up, and Aaron was heading that. And then he realized his U.S. Open qualifier was that weekend. So he kind of put the, the responsibility on me. And uh, because I'm from Miami, I know the golf course is down there. So I, uh, you know, talked to the guys and chose a golf course and had, I think it was three consecutive tee times lined up together. And we had probably a dozen, dozen plebs out there playing golf super hungover, not playing very well, but uh, having a good time. Oh man, that sounds awesome. Do you, do you know if they're doing the same again this year? I do not, but uh, I'm sure somebody will, will hear this episode and get the wheels in motion. Yeah, for sure. And I, I've also seen, um, I'm in a chat with, uh, with, with Ryan um, about uh, 3D printing little um stuff for golf so like uh the bull marker the bit a bitcoin bull marker or um the uh the divot repairer not divot repairer excuse me pitch mark repairer there you go an opportunity to get kyc free bitcoin kyc free bitcoin absolutely buy it buy it with stuff other than fiat (laughs) or win your foursome who is in my foursome no, I said or win your foursome. Oh yeah. Then you get KYC sats if you're playing uh, you know, for keeps at the end there. Gambling. Yeah. DJ way. <laughs> DJ golfist. Come on, golf supposed to be low time preference game. This is a perfect, perfect opportunity for a big announcement in the golf world, you know? Who's gonna be the first golfer? I think there's some golfers that probably are yeah. on bitcoin stacking yeah. in the background yeah your boy mickelson he's got like uh, a nice little secret stash somewhere i don't know maybe the saudis paid him in bitcoin 
what what were you gambling on then you said you were doing a lot of golf gambling like yeah what was uh just like the outcome of the majors or absolutely everything and anything uh pretty much every week jesus man yeah you still doing that uh, um not as much as i used to but but i like to i like to take some action so the 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 idea is you say you have like a hundred dollars you want to bet every week Mm -hmm. you you make it so that like typically you get paid out like five to one if somebody wins so you take different guys and different odds ranges you put together a little group and you know you can win you know five six times your money if you have a good week the important part though is you can deposit fiat into the website and then when you win you withdraw it in sats what website is this uh, i i use bovada but you know, you can use uh, Will Hill or Bet365 in the UK. There's there's a bunch of there's a bunch but of them out there. They pay out in Bitcoin, all of these places. Yeah, but you have to you have to gamble as much fiat as you deposited. So you can't like just deposit fiat and withdraw Bitcoin over and over again and use them like as an exchange, but once you've reached that limit, so if you bet, you deposit $100, you win $1,000, and then you bet it down to $900, you can withdraw the 900 in sats. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I knew sportsbet.io were, were doing that, but I didn't know there were you know more and more gambling uh, companies. Makes sense. Of course, they're the they're the ones yeah, to see it like quickly. When all, when all the when all the poker websites went down, there was a bunch of Bitcoin poker websites that sprung up. You know that. I think it was. Uh, have you read Junseth's like layers of Bitcoin? Um, no, John Seth, no. John Seth, he used to do uh, Bitcoin Uncensored with Krista Rose. They're, right. they're OG Bitcoiners. They kind of like disappeared for a little while, but he says Bitcoin layer one is toxicity. And I think it was Bitcoin layer two is the gamblers, drug dealers, and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> what so, layer are we at right now? I, I, I would have to go back to the piece. I'm going to read it again. You should too. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, I'm going to have to. That'd be interesting to see how that's uh, aged over time. So yeah. I, I thought you were referencing Nick Batia's layered money, but no, this is just a different one. This right. is different. All right, man. Well, I got to ask you the final question. If you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give it to and why? One orange pill left to give. My pick... It would be going to Brian Armstrong. <laughs> All right. Do you want to? Do you want to? Um, for the for the plebs that don't know who we're talking about, do you want to just tell him? Tell everybody who he is. Sure. Brian Armstrong is the CEO of Coinbase, and I think they are systemically important 
in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And unfortunately, over the years, despite um, Brian Armstrong's attacks on Bitcoin, uh, he supported uh, Bitcoin SegWit2x pretty heavily in the New York agreement. Um, they ninja launched Bcash that November, and I think it went up to about like half a Bitcoin. Uh, he's turned his exchange into a shitcoin casino. Um, they have custody service for corporations now. And I think giving Brian Armstrong the orange pill would be the most advantageous for the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah. They'd have to delist all that other shit pretty quick. Yep. I think they would. Or just convert it straight into Bitcoin and say, sorry, guys, we've delisted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you're allowed to do that. But that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> Your yeah. DeFi trash is now worth real money. Sorry. Yeah. See you in 10 years. You'll be thanking me. Yep. All right, man. Well, awesome, Rip. Is there, is there anything that uh, we didn't touch on that, um, that you wanted to get to? Yeah, I got, I got an ask for you. Sure. I highly doubt you could make this happen. But if you could get a debate between Eric Vosquel and Saifedean okay. on time preference, I think that would be a fantastic listen. Okay. Uh, They're and both super stubborn and they probably hate each other. But if you could make that happen, I think... It would be pretty cool to listen to. And what what are the different takes on on time preference? <sighs> Eric focuses more on the economic side of it in terms of like people's relationship to interest rates, and I think safety probably approaches it more as a philosophical, um, you know, he, he takes the axiom of people prefer things to today more than they prefer them tomorrow. And he kind of talks more about the philosophy of that than the actual economic terms in your your relationship with interest rates, but I, I, I think it would be a, I think it would be a lively uh, discussion. I disagree with both of them in certain parts of how they present time preference. Um, I've gone, started to go through um, man economy and state, the original text, or I, I don't think it's the original, but I think Murray Rothbard's got probably the, the most respected opinion on time preference. And I've tried to, to dig through and it's it's a difficult it's a difficult topic it's not uh as black and white i think as people like to treat it interesting all right i'll see what i can do uh say if i can ask directly eric i'm gonna have to try and hunt down and uh and see if i can get connected somehow um first of all i should probably do the right thing and uh, order order his book and read that and get to know his work a little bit and uh, try and find has he been on other pods Oh yeah, he's been on 
He's been on Marty's pod. Okay, I'll have he's to go been find that. On, he's been on, I think Vallis did like a four-hour rip with them. Right, um, okay. All right, I'm going to find those, and then uh, I'll see what I can do about uh, about this debate. I think he's been on uh, on Crypto Voices with Mashinskis. Mashinskis, what's his? I can't pronounce his last name. You know Matt Crypto Voices. He does all the base money reports. Man, I tell you, I got to catch up on my pods. That's one thing when you start doing your own one, it takes up a lot of your spare time. Um, so I still go back to my favorites, but it's there's there's new ones coming out all the time. Shill as many as you like. How many are you listening to a day? Do you, are you able to just like do your job and listen to Bitcoin pods at the same time? That's correct. Oh man, you are living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I just I just boost hash rate and listen to podcasts. <laughs> Love it. All right. It's been great to get to know you and uh, I really look forward to um, playing around a golf with you one day. When we can yeah, get man. across, when we can get across to the land of the free, we'll come and seek you out, and uh, we'll get out there. Cheers! All right, brother. Take care. Have a great uh, weekend. Weekend. You too. See you. Hey guys, thank you for listening. Thank you, Justin, for hanging out. What a rip. Loved it. For those of you that are trying to escape your fiat job, like Justin did, use Bitcoinerjobs.com. Go to at Bitcoinerjobs on Twitter. Or listen to my interview with Nathan from Bitcoiner Jobs. Just search at Bitcoiner Jobs under the Once Bitten podcast. You will find that app and you might be able to escape just like Justin did. Hit Justin up in the DMs. He will have much more advice for you. I am sure he's more than happy to connect. Now, please, guys, seriously, don't forget what happened this last two weeks. What went down in Canada was absolutely disgusting. People had their bank accounts frozen their money was taken away from them. This is unacceptable. This should never have happened. Don't ever forget what did happen because the, 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 you know what it's like. The media moves so quickly onto the next thing. It happened. People had their money locked away from them, their own money. So reverse the tables, flip the game board, get a hardware wallet, get your sats off the exchanges and off the apps. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only hardware wallet from shiftcrypto.ch that will give you 5% discount. But it's got to be done, guys. <laughs> I don't care what wallet you use, and I'm sure Shift Crypto don't, but please, you got to do it. Get one. That's a plea. That is an official plea. Right. Other sponsors swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Thank you so much. That will get you a free 10 bucks. You can find these links in the show notes and relay.ch forward slash bit and they offer the same kind of service across Europe and the UK. Bitcoin Reserve, new players here in the Europe land. They're going to help you each day and can help you. White Glove Service, 50 grand or more. Give these guys a call. You can listen to my interview with Nick and Andrew Howard, separate interviews, and find out more about those guys. If you want to get to the conference, use the code BITTEN. That will get you 10% off your tickets from general admission all the way up to Whale Pass. That is coming up 6th and 9th of April. And thank you anybody that is using the streaming apps, whether that's Fountain App or Breeze. It's an amazing feeling when we get a message 
I, I speak on behalf of other podcasters as well because it's such a cool feeling when some sats just turn up in um, in your wallet and uh, there's a little message attached so we know you're listening we hope we're adding value this is now or never let's go we, we've got to keep working together push this message go orange pill someone today do whatever you can thank you so much for listening thanks for sharing rating subscribing doesn't matter what you do we're all part of this appreciate it thank you take care catch you on the next show